Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz. And you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com. That's S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A-T-I, Sparks, as in Sparks are Flying, dot com. And when you enter your email, you'll be added to my mailing list as well, and you'll be the first to learn about both my online events as well as my live events in the San Francisco Bay Area. For example, this Saturday night at 6 p.m. in Oakland, we'll be having a panel discussion on how to be a stand-up poly guy. So hope to see you there. So tonight, I'm very excited to have as my guest a relatively new friend who is just a lovely person both inside and out. Her name is Regina Fletcher. And Regina is a former teacher turned relationship coach and activist. And she supports clients in creating and maintaining sustainable relationships that are both romantic and not the same relationship, but romantic relationships as well as platonic relationships. She loves working with people who are more interested in resisting the status quo in dating and relationships than conforming to it. Welcome to the show, Regina. Thank you, Sumiti. It's really wonderful to be on your show. Um, And I just want to start by thanking you for creating this beautiful archive of all these interviews you've had. I've listened to several of them, and I've educated myself. Um, about various terms that I previously didn't understand that well, and I've referred them to clients and friends. So I'm I'm just really honored to be on it and and be part of this body of uh, you know engaging informative work that you've put together. Thank you. That was my intention. So it's really great to know that's landing that way. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so why don't we start by um, tell us how you or what inspired your transition from being a public school teacher to a relationship coach. Yeah, so I I never thought I would have my own business. I really thought I was going to be a career public school teacher. Um, I often joke that I got into personal growth in the most bureaucratic way possible in low-income, under-resourced schools that had been subject to state takeover in um, Richmond, California several years ago. And, um, you know, I also was interested in uh, Wayne Dyer and some of these self-help guru kinds of people, and I saw that as something that was really attractive, but not something I could ever do. And I had, um, you know, a few really difficult years teaching. Um, I was laid off three times, um, which was really crushing. And after my third layoff, um, I decided to take a little pause and travel to Thailand and teach English there. And when I was in Thailand, I met a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, There's a lot less zoning in Thailand, so it's just very kind of hospitable for for various kinds of uh, entrepreneurs. And I ended up being hosted by a couch surfing host who had just had a a breakup of a three-year relationship with her American boyfriend. She was Thai, he was American, and she felt like she really lost a lot of her friends in that breakup. Um, And 
you know, I, I had my moments of thinking, oh, this is the reason why people don't do couch surfing. But it was actually really lovely. We had these wonderful mm-hmm. cross-cultural conversations about, um, you know, what are the ethics of, you know, asking your partner to not socialize with people of the opposite sex. Um, you know, it, it was just like a really, you know, we, we spent um, probably a total of 10 days together. I, I, I was just going to spend the night for one and then, various things happened and, and we got close. Um, and at that time in my life, I, I think I was in my 14th year of my life partnership and I'd always been um, a person among my same age peers who'd been in, um, you know, my relationship for a, a longer time than, than many people. So a lot of people would come to me um, wanting advice, wanting support through a breakup, guidance for how to navigate a challenging situation of friendship. So it was something that I'd always kind of played that role, but with my couch surfing host, I realized this is something that happens to a lot of people. A lot of mm-hmm. people get into these devastating breakups where, um, you know, the, the friends, the family group kind of sides with one person and mm-hmm. often, you know, not, not always, but it is somewhat common that if somebody you know, is born into a, I don't know, family, subculture, environment with unhealthy relationships, their chances of getting into an unhealthy relationship and then a very devastating breakup and still not really having the skills to, you know, maintain friendships, to maintain connection to your family, even when there's conflict with a partner. Um, You know, this kind of thing happens a lot. And mm-hmm. it just turned on a light, like maybe I could be a breakup support partner. And then um, I worked with a business coach who said, it sounds like you want to be a coach. Sounds like maybe you want to be a breakup coach. And I, I started building that up. I was a um, breakup breakthrough for a couple years. And then eventually I changed to love leaf coaching, kind of um, – moving away from the model of responding to a crisis of a breakup and divorce Mm -hmm. um, and more Mm -hmm. into the metaphor of, you know, we have these seasons of change. Sometimes it's time to turn a new love leaf. And how do we Mm -hmm. plant those seeds in a very healthy, nourishing way? How do I help people Mm -hmm. get started um, in a new, healthier chapter of their life, whether that's after a breakup or, or maybe they have finally you know, they got their career in order. Maybe they moved to a new city, and they are they are ready to have real friends. You know, not superficial mm-hmm. friends, not friends of convenience, but real. You know, um, partners in crime, friends, if you will. Friends, friends or like friends we've never met, like on Facebook. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Not just like, oh, hey, we connected. We sort of comment on each other's threads but you know if I had a crisis or I wanted to share a really joyful moment you know I I wouldn't talk to maybe like 500 of my Facebook friends um yeah so that that's kind of the origin story of my transition but I actually I draw on my teaching skills a lot and many people have this perception that um you having good romantic relationships, um, and, and to an extent, friendships 
is a stroke of good luck. Um, I think it's pretty hard to argue that attractive people um, can be more lazy and and get Mm -hmm. attention um, from people uh, in a more romantic, sexual way. Um, You know, and often when people talk about their story of how they got into a partnership or a friendship, it you know, part of the story is like, well, if I hadn't sat next to you in biology class, if you hadn't, you know, noticed me from across the room, we wouldn't be here today. But often mm-hmm. when you dig a little bit deeper, the reason, you know, when, when you hear those stories and it, it's worked out well um, for the people involved in the romantic or platonic relationship, there's been, you know, years of good choice making, you know, an ability to filter for who, you know, is um, attracted to you in a very genuine, holistic way um, versus who is attracted to you in a very superficial, fleeting way. Um, Mm -hmm. And these are skills that anyone can learn, and they are easier for some people than others. But I love teaching these to people, and it brings me so much joy to have somebody go from feeling unlucky in love and friendship to feeling really empowered. Like they can go out and they can bring people into their life with intention. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. That's excellent. And how did you arrive at practicing non-monogamy in your own life? Yeah, it's um, it's a funny story that in some ways is very old and very new, uh, maybe much like non-monogamy itself. For those of us that read some anthropological texts pointing to, um, you know, what is likely widespread practice of non-monogamy and then the rise of the Internet to being able to connect people um, that identify as non-monogamous online. Um, so my, my partner and I, when we first got together, um, I was 19. I had just left home for college for the first time. I had had two really short relationships, um, you know, romantic relationships. And he um, he hadn't really had romantic relationships before. I think maybe he had already had a, a little bit of one. But, um, you know, he had just finished college. I had just finished high school. We were living 80 miles apart. Um for a lot of this time, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have cars, and we just really loved each other and felt this great connection, but simultaneously said, you know, I think we should let each other be in an open relationship and see other people. And that might sound really idyllic and we're just on the same page, but we did not know what we were doing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we were both so much less secure than we are right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it was it was not a smooth road. And so after about a year and a half, we decided to close our relationship and had this, you know, it's, it's funny the term, you know, open versus closed, because we've always been very open-hearted and open-minded. And I actually see the fact that, yeah, technically we we are, we would be open to dating other people. Not not that it's this huge priority or hallmark of our relationship, 
We are also open to hosting couch surfers from around the world who we have never met before. That's something that we went through a phase of hosting a lot of people from various countries um, to the couch surfing website. You know, we're really open to, uh, you know, your friend Doc came to um, your workshop that you did for my personal development meetup. And yeah. neither of us had ever really known much about Tantra, and he invited us to a Tantra workshop that weekend, and we were open to doing it. Um, <laughs> you know, we have um, throughout our, now it's about 18 years we've been together, we're, you know, we, we just really open ourselves to other people mm-hmm. in our community, and it just feels very inconsistent to say, like, oh, you know, I'm... Uh, I'm open to transitioning with you from like, oh, you know, girls night out to now we're hanging out with your toddler. You know, I'm open to helping you out with friends, even though you're not in my family, you're not my romantic partner, but no, 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 no. We could never cross a sexual romantic boundary. Like that just feels kind of inconsistent. And so it's Mm -hmm. been more recently, um, after we got married, kind of uh, the opposite of a lot of people, we, we ended up having a, a big wedding after we'd been together for 13 years. And um, wow. yeah, it was after that that, um, you know, there's just been like a couple times that someone else would drop a hint, he would drop a hint, I would drop a hint. And then, you know, it finally happened that we dated other people. And it's, it's something that shows up sometimes. But, um, yeah, we're not really actively pursuing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like what you said in what I read in your introduction is that um, you're more interested in resisting the status quo and dating in relationships than conforming to it because the status quo would be, well, sexuality is different. That's supposed to be private with one person. And I always thought that was really strange, too, is, like, why are we sectioning off this really important part of who we are and treating it differently than everything else that we treat in our life? Um, I think it it serves to kind of shame it in a way. Like, Mm -hmm. there's that saying, like, sex is bad, save it for the one you love, you know? So, yeah, I resonate with that where it just never made sense to separate that out from other intimate things we do with people. Yeah, yeah, I I feel that way too. And, um, you know, I think I also want to say when people remark, wow, you've been together for such a long time, there's so many different kind of adult developmental phases, how did you make it work? And often I the most, natural answer to me is friendship. Um, having mm-hmm. friends to help us through some of the really difficult times. I think it's very it's very human that sometimes people go through phases of their life where they're so consumed with, with a goal, with grieving a loss, um, going through a transition, that they can't really show up as a better half, you know, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. every day of the year. And to have rich friendships who can support that. Um, You know, I mean, I think a very traditional model would be, okay, you come to a point where one person, um, you know, the the way they're responding to a loss in their life or a challenge is to be really shut down, to be very consumed. 
And then one person gets tired of it and then that's it. That's the end. You know, you just kind of mm-hmm. lose the investment of several years that you've made, but we've had more of a model where we go through some of those phases and it's hard. Um, and when one person is pretty occupied with something that they're going through, then the other person can, you know, draw on their own self-soothing or connect with other friends. And I, I think for some people, I, um, you know, I've read a little bit on your website, um, you've talked about how sometimes non-monogamy can be a really good solution for partnerships where one partner has a low sex drive and one partner has a high mm-hmm. sex drive. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that, that that principle of, you know, how can we look at what is and accept what is and find solutions that don't involve cutting someone out of your life. Um, that's really uh, the philosophy that I bring to my own relationship and the ones that I coach people with. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, and when I, I led a uh, workshop at your meetup group uh, around transforming jealousy into love, and one of the things that I teach people is to have a lot of connection and intimacy, not necessarily sexual, but having a lot of friends and support in your life um, helps you feel like there's enough because one of the sources of jealousy is feeling like I'm not enough. So when mm-hmm. we have a lot of love in our lives, all different kinds of love, you know, good friends, other lovers, um, cuddle buddies, cuddle parties, you know, all the different ways that we can get connection. When we have an abundance of that, it starts to heal that deep place in us. It feels like it's not enough. So I love that you are helping people with platonic relationships as well as romantic relationships. And I really do think that it's needed in this time that we live in because social media, I made a joke about it earlier, but it really does uh, cut people off from real friendships. It's a great adjunct to friendships, but it's not a replacement. And I think a lot of young people are um, forgetting that there's such a thing as three-dimensional relationships and I've heard that there's a lot of suicide because people are seeing, you know, all these pictures on Instagram of everybody else having fun and they think I'm not having any fun or they, they see that they didn't get invited to a party or all this stuff that we didn't used to have to deal with before social media. So can you talk a little bit about um, the need for platonic relationship coaching and helping people um, to create solid friendships? Um, what kind of work do you do around that and why friendship coaching is important to you? Yeah, sure. Um, so friendship coaching, it is something I get a lot of questions about. One response is, why do people need help with that? Are you saying there are actually people that need help with it? Um, and then the other response that I get is, oh, of course, that makes so much sense. I never really put it together. But mm-hmm. come to think of it, myself or many people I know, this is, you know, people that I am talking to, don't really know how to make a healthy adult friendship. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, for example, uh, a common trajectory that I have, you know, with a, a certain type of client is somebody who has had um, a divorce in middle age and they find themselves suddenly not partnered, not being full-time parents. And they look back and they realize they didn't make any intentional friends in the last 25 years. 
Um, you know, if your workplace doesn't happen to be a source of friendship, if the friends you made through your children's friends, maybe you live in a new area or those friends were really tied to the kids when the kids move on with different friends, you realize you're not actually friends um, with that other mom or dad, um, people will look back on a couple decades and realize they didn't make any friends. So, um, you know, when I do my workshops and my coaching, I do a workshop tomorrow in Oakland, how to meet great people for dating or decades of friendship, um, which you can go to, uh, go to my Facebook or, um, or call into the show, you know, if you're, if you're curious about that, it's tomorrow. And, um, you know, I have this way of walking people through taking an inventory of what they really value. Like when you are in a place of bringing new friends into your life, you have this opportunity to kind of start anew. Um, many people will realize that their friends are friends of convenience and circumstance, which can be really beautiful. I mean, I certainly have friends um, from high school and college and situations I've been put into, um, but to really decide, like, yeah, you know what, my values right now are personal growth. My values are loyalty. My values are adventure. Um, and then to decide, um, you know, in what venues and what arenas do I want to look for people that have these values? I mean, like, meetups can be fabulous because, you you know, they're organized by topic, people that are like-minded, um, at a meetup, you pretty much always have the conversation opener of like, so how do you know about this meetup? It's been going for a while. Um, usually people at meetups want to meet up. Um, so, right, uh, person, you know, the, right. the openness to making, yeah, yeah, the openness um, is, is going to be there as opposed to going to a bar. Um, people may or may not want to have any new connection with the people around them. But we know that at a meetup, um, they're they're looking for that connection. They also do this strategy that I call going from small talk to real talk, where how do we look at what are the typical conversation patterns of small talk of getting to know you, and then how do we transition kind of swiftly into a deeper, more meaningful conversation so that by the time, you know, the activity, the chat at the bar has ended, it feels very natural. Like, oh, my gosh, of course, we just kind of bonded about what it's like to lose a parent at a young age. Of course we should mm-hmm. keep in touch. Um, whereas when we're just making clever banter and chit-chat, which, um, you know, is a, a really common flirtation strategy <laughs> that I mm-hmm. see, um, it's, it's not, it doesn't always feel that urgent or natural to stay in touch with somebody. Um, and kind of going back to social media, um, I would say one of, you know, social media can actually, as you're saying, like the adjunct to friendship, um, you know, I think it can be, it can feel very vulnerable to say, can I have your phone number, you know, um, and I, I do encourage people to, to follow through with that vulnerability. It can be very worth it. But, um, you know, sometimes people earnestly, they make a connection. They don't know, like, is this, is, is this a flirtation? Is this really just sort of business, career growth? Is this friendship? Like, I'm not really sure. But when people say, oh, yeah, let's, you know, let's connect on um, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, people who do maintain a presence on those, you can start to get a little bit more of a full, fuller picture or maybe a very selective picture, you know, depending on mm-hmm. what they post. 
And then you have this content to reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I didn't realize that you'd been going to all these protests recently. I went to some of these. Um, we should talk sometime. So it mm-hmm. actually, um, social media can be a really nice complement to meeting people mm-hmm. in real life. Um, but you're right. I mean, just that, that jealousy, that comparison factor. I mean, I do really encourage people to remember that everyone else is being selective about what they're posting on social media. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's not an authentic representation of what what is actually going on in the lives of those people. Right, exactly. So what other ways do you see um, friendship and non-monogamy intersecting? Like what are some of the issues that come up around friendship and non-monogamy? So, I mean, with, this, with, with people that are practicing non-monogamy, it's still... I, I would say it's still a fairly small marginalized group. Um, you know, as, as both of us know, there are real um, legal, sometimes financial ramifications to coming out of non-monogamous, losing custody mm-hmm. of your children. Um, and so I think any kind of marginalized group, it's really important to have this skill of making connections and community beyond the paradigm of pair bonding, especially when we're saying, okay, the pair bonding is not necessarily going to be this lifelong done deal, which, you know, as we know, even when people, you know, make commitments like that with monogamous marriages, they they don't always turn out to be, um, you know, a lifelong sustainable partnership. But, I mean, you know, we kind of see this in – gosh, how do I want to say this, the older traditional queer circles, um, you know, where you'd have the the model of people moving out from small towns to the big cities like San Francisco and New York and finding their, you know, their queer, their gay tribe um, and forming these new connections with people that you previously didn't have any history with and kind of assessing, okay, a lot of people are new in town, a lot of people are saying, like, hey, I've been ostracized from my family, my community. We don't have a lot of history. So you really have to um, to dig deep and work on those skills of, you know, figuring out, like, who's an authentic friend or, like, how do I show up for somebody who, um, you know, maybe I don't know that well that's not fitting into a traditional model of, you know, family or um, kind of, like, classroom buddy, like people that we used to be friends with because we had class together, we worked together. Um, So just educating people in some of these different models, sometimes, you know, it hasn't occurred to people to even name and parse out the different kinds of friendship, um, like activity partner versus confidant, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, versus maybe somebody that you have a very cerebral intellectual connection with that might not even manifest in an in-person meeting. I mean, you know, one style of friendship is, hey, you know, we live in different parts of the country and we met one time and we send each other really interesting articles and we have interesting Mm -hmm. conversations, but we're not activity partners and we don't talk about, you know, emotional, personal things. So I think for a lot of people it's very – empowering to just name these different types of friendships and clarify 
what do I want to bring into my life? And, um, you know, as people go through the waves of, you know, non-monogamy and, um, you know, trying on different relationships and figuring out what models work for you, to have this skill of, you know, keeping a connection even when maybe the romantic part didn't work out Um, or to really draw on your friends when you're having a lot of turmoil in your romantic life. It it can just be such an asset. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thank you for that. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. And we're speaking with Regina Fletcher, who is a relationship and friendship coach. And I'm wondering if you have clients um, that practice non-monogamy as well. That's a really good question. Um, only a small amount. I mean, I don't always follow up with everybody and ask them, you know, two years later, like, so how's that seemingly monogamous relationship you started um, uh-huh. you know, a while back? Um, so, I mean, people that, people that work with me, you know, sort of the way I was describing my relationship, they're generally open, resisting the status quo, for a handful of people that involves non-monogamy, but it's not, it's not really that, um, yeah, it's not really that common with the people that want to work with me. In fact, um, I would say a, a large amount of people that work with me are people that have a fair amount of social anxiety and they have, you know, they struggle to manage just a, a few relationships and the idea of adding more relationships um, can feel kind of overwhelming. Um, so mm-hmm. often, yeah, people that I'm working with, they're, they're not always looking to add a lot more. They're looking for, you know, just a few people to have that really strong connection with. Right. That makes sense. Um, and we were talking about social media, so that seems like a good segue to talk about. I've noticed that you've written articles about online dating, Um, Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on online dating um, in today's world? Sure. Um, So I get a little bit of a reputation as someone who puts down online dating, which um, is kind of ironic because back in 2001, I made a college documentary on Craigslist personals. and now that it's taken down, I, I've been wanting to unearth this, you know, 10-minute amateur documentary and put it back up. I, I was always mm. really fascinated um, by this concept. But, um, you know, from the perspective that I sit in, I work with a lot of people, like young, ambitious professionals in their 20s and 30s who, you know, are – are conventionally attractive, have good relationships with their family. Some of them, you know, have good friends. And they have so much anxiety from people they start to connect with online who ghost them, uh, who don't respond back to them. And, you know, and, 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 you know, we have to remember that the people who choose to work with me, who are self-identifying as like, hey, you know, I realize I really want to work on myself um, with a coach to improve my relationships, you know, that's not necessarily 
you know, an accurate sample of the whole population. But I just see so many people getting that I work with getting into online dating, and it's like this chore. You know, they tell themselves, mm-hmm. like, I'm single, I'm in my 30s. Again, sort of this, like, pair bonding model of, like, oh, no, everybody's getting paired up. <laughs> There's a scarcity. There aren't enough people left. I need to be on five different dating apps. And, um, you know, I, I, I have read some data um, about online dating, which, if, like, if you go to my Facebook page, like, um, on Facebook, look up Turning a New Love Leaf, uh, you can scroll down and see some of these articles. Um, you know, I'm going to be pretty bold and say that this ghosting, this starting a nice connection with somebody and then suddenly dropping it without mm-hmm. any explanation, right. I really think that happens a lot more with online dating. Um, when we mm-hmm. think about the other ways that people meet each other, you know, I mean, it would be so awkward to do that to a friend of a friend. You know, you would have somebody call right. you up saying, like, what just happened? How could you do this to my friend? You know, if you did it to a coworker, like, everybody at work would be like, you guys were dating and now you're not? Like, what happened? Right. So when we meet someone and there's no other connection except our agreement, so we look at each other's profiles and said, okay let's meet up. Um, yeah, it's kind of like easy come, easy go. And I would say I mm-hmm. see that a lot for um, more of the apps. I would say OkCupid, okay um, which has kind of gone through its own uh, remodel recently. And I am mm-hmm. encouraging people to use that one because you just have a lot more opportunity for um, for detail and putting out your intention and um, getting more of a sense of who you're going to connect with. I would say with that, um, there's a little bit less of that ghosting culture, but it still happens. And, I mean, us humans, we're really wired to connect, even though logically we can tell ourselves, like, all right, you know, I went on a date with this person for three days. You know, I mean, I can think of so many reasons why they weren't, you know, destined to be a long-term connection with me. It's really hard for us to face a human being just saying, no, I I don't even want to deal with you. I don't even want to Mm -hmm. take the time to explain why I'm not connecting with you anymore. It's, it's really painful. And I mean, then I see the other direction that people go and I, you know, I mean, I see this a little more millennial, um, but uh, I see people kind of going the other direction of just getting very callous. They're like, why not swipe right? on a bunch of people, it's a numbers game, just see who comes up, don't get too emotionally invested. Um, and it's, it's hard to untrain yourself from that behavior. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, just, I, I like to be kind of like the voice of caution, even though I know many people who have incredibly sweet, ongoing connections through OkCupid and, you know, um, Tinder as well. One of my good friends just got married to somebody that she met on Tinder about years ago um and it is wonderful that they are bringing people together but um you know i also like to look at what are some of the emotional costs of you know getting into this mentality of it's a numbers game you know i'm Mm -hmm. going to be very callous when you know i move on from a connection with somebody 
Yeah. Well, ironically, I got really good at telling people, no, I don't want to date you from using online dating um, many years ago when it, when it was first a thing um, because I was looking for romantic partners. I wasn't looking for more friends. I already have more friends than I ever could possibly have time for. So if I didn't feel a romantic connection with somebody, I had to just tell them that rather than kind of leading them along. And I don't think there was as much ghosting back then, but um, I don't think it even occurred to me. So I just got really good at saying, you know, um, you're a really nice person, but I don't feel enough of a romantic connection with you to pursue dating. You know, so it doesn't mean that I don't like you. I just don't feel the romantic connection. So that I got pretty good at that and, it was good practice for that, so maybe other people can find that helpful. <laughs> That's so interesting, actually. Can I, you know, since I, and you went on to be a relationship coach, um, you know, right. that, that makes a lot of sense because I that is a skill that I mean I want to just say that's a skill, um, and it's a very valuable one to cultivate if you're going to be actively dating. Can you just tell us a little bit how? You know, what that process was like, like what, I mean, oh, was no, it you're me. okay. Yeah, no, no, it was really scary. <laughs> it was really scary and hard. And um, it just didn't occur to me to ghost somebody. I'm, I'm just too much of a caretaker personality type to have just ignored somebody. So I just felt really bad for the men and wanted them to know. And I, I realized it was going to be worse for them to not know what's going on. Um, so I don't know, maybe just, that was just my vibe to, to not be a jerk and just I had to overcome my fear because I didn't want to be a jerk. <laughs> but they appreciated I, that. I and if that. they, you know, if, if, sorry, if they act, if they act badly when I speak the truth like that, then I made a good decision because, you know, that weeds them out. And what I also noticed was yes. that if they took it, if they took it really well, then I liked them even more and I could imagine my feelings changing later because they took it so well. They heard my no, right? So there's something Mm -hmm. that happens when someone hears your no, that especially a woman, I think when we feel like our no is heard, then we feel safe to step closer to a man. So I found that interesting that I was like, wow, you heard that so well. I kind of like it more now. I love that. I I hope some of my clients are listening. Um, That's so, (laughs) yeah, that's just so important, you know, to, you know, and and the way that you were, you know, you came to that wisdom. I mean, it sounds like fairly quickly for some people, they still haven't figured it out, you know, after like Mm, several years of dating. But it is good. Like if you're doing a lot of online dating, it is a numbers game and you get a lot of practice. So um, I just want to say, mm-hmm. I forgot to mention it um, when I took the station break, but um, if you have any questions for Regina, you're welcome to call in. You won't interrupt us. You'll just go to the console and I'll take your call when we're ready. So the guest call-in number is area code 657-383-1132. So feel free to call in if you have any questions for Regina. So we're talking about online dating, and you've written some articles about that, and um do you have some tips for people to avoid any harm on uh, this process of dating perfect strangers? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, with a lot of my clients, I've really supported them in their mindfulness. So, um, 
I, I mean, I would say one thing, like really reduce the amount of platforms that you're on. This, um, you're like, oh, I'm like on five different sites. I, I mean, unless, you know, maybe if you're a very extroverted person um, or, you know, sometimes when people are traveling, they're like, oh, you know, like I'm in a new city. How about I just open myself up to meeting a lot of people? But you understand, you know, that there there are consequences <laughs> to opening yourself up um, on so many different platforms. And also to make sure that when you are using the dating platforms, I mean, I would say don't ever log on unless you are in a really great open-hearted space. And unfortunately, mm. so many people go through the cycle of um, – you know, someone broke up with me or um, I'm starting to feel really old and unattractive, um, you know, like, like some sort of, you know, negative self-talk. And then they say, aha, I'm going to reactivate my Tinder account and get some validation. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, in the short term, that could lead to something positive. But so often when you are coming in that very – negative, insecure space, it comes across in the kinds of people you are open to in that space and the subtext of the messages you send and um, the way you receive them. So I really encourage people to, you know, have, um, if you're, if you're like some of my clients who are starting to feel like their online dating is, is out of control and, you know, the people they're connecting with aren't treating them very well and they're trying to have this cynicism, you know, block some time out on the calendar that is like sacred love connecting time. Like this one hour is your hour that you're going to reach out to people. You know, maybe you're going to get home, light some candles, you know, do something really nice for yourself. And then when that hour is up, like you are done. You know, you are moving on to connect with somebody, you know, your friends in person, watch your favorite TV show, exercise, you know, get some work done. Um, but to not have this just nagging, ongoing, like, oh, I'm bored, I'm anxious, therefore I'm going to connect with people. Because then you connect with people that, you know, you decided to make that connection with them when you were bored and anxious. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. that's not your highest self. You could do better than that. Mm-hmm. Right. Excellent. So you're saying uh, commit to uh, an hour of self-love time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can kind of, yeah, I mean, I'd say, like, it really depends on the person and their goals. And also um, to not give into the idea of online dating just for the sake of dating. Um, I mean, again, like, not to stereotype, but... You know, I get these women in their 30s who are getting anxious about their fertility and they feel like they need to be doing something. And so the something is filling their calendar with dates with people that they're not really excited about. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it might seem um, kind of like that saying, uh, never mistake motion for action. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, right. You know, while it can sort of feel satisfying, like, oh, I'm doing something about the problem, Filling your time with going on a date with somebody, you know, especially with some of these apps where there's not that much room for information. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, they just like answered a few questions. They have a very small paragraph. You see some pictures. It's really, it's not that much information. Um, mm-hmm. And so then it really does feel like luck. Whereas, you know, on OkCupid, um, you, I mean, they have like hundreds of questions you can answer. You can really mm-hmm. get a sense of a person with that site. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm lazy. I live in a place where there's tons of traffic, so I don't want to go out until I know that some basic things about the person. So I always make them talk to me on the phone first and find out certain, just make sure they can actually show up for a phone appointment, first of all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can they keep keep an appointment with you? Does their voice sound like they're, you know, halfway educated? And then ask them a few questions to see if we're on the same page of what we're looking for before I get all dressed up, put on makeup, get in my car, and then I'm stuck in a cafe with somebody who might bore me to death, you know. So the phone call can really help a lot <laughs> save my time. <laughs> I'm, I'm really into the phone call, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so I noticed that you have um, workshops with food, and so that really yeah. piqued my curiosity, like, flirting, friendship, and food. So how does that all connect for you? Yeah, so um, these workshops have been a really nice partnership with two of my good friends who started a pop-up catering company, um, Periodic Table. One of them's a chemist, um, hence for the name. And what I realized, you know, for a while I would just do my one-on-one coaching and, you know, have workshops like a few times a year. And then I realized basically every single one of my clients had the goal of meeting people besides me. And that one way to facilitate that goal was to have these kinds of structured workshops. And, you know, like I said, I used to be a classroom teacher, teaching in a conference room, using a PowerPoint. Actually, I don't use PowerPoint that much, only sometimes. Um, you know, it's very comfortable, it's very natural. People definitely get a lot of information and practice time. But I would have these moments where I would keep wishing, like, oh, man, if only I could have somehow brought that client to this person's party and I could have shown them, hey, look at this friend. Look at how this person is first being really friendly. They actually forgot the name of the person they were talking to for 20 minutes, but it was totally okay because they were paying attention to everything else. And then after they'd have a really intimate conversation, they said, oh, what's your name? And then they asked them for their phone number. Yeah, that's what you should be doing. But it it just, it wasn't very practical. Like, I don't, I mean, that would just be so difficult to facilitate. And so then Mm. I got the idea of how about having these workshops where there is a little bit of content, you know, in the flirting friendship and food one, we certainly, um, we have this uh, structured flirting practice, which is pretty vulnerable um, and pretty exciting. Uh, but then, you know, my friends that have the catering company, they'll cater a meal, which is often thematic. Um, I'm trying to remember, like, we're having, you know, this one we're having about, like, keeping gold friendships on November 4th. We're going to have some gold-colored food. Oh, or, like, how to spot mm-hmm. red flags. That one, there was, like, a red food for that one. Mm-hmm. And so it feels like this, like this casual dinner party in my friend's loft. Um, except there is an agenda and a lot of the people don't know each other. Um, and pretty much everyone who shows up is looking for friends or romance. 
So I know as of, as of right now, there's been at least three pairs of people that have gone on dates uh, that I know of, maybe even more. But it's just this very kind of like fun, structured, educational way of um, learning. I mean, it's, it's experiential learning. Like um, most educators will tell you that's the most powerful kind of learning is when you actually experience something. But when you are, you know, when you're maybe very insecure about connecting with people, maybe you're an introvert, you live in an area, you're not going to have a ton of social interactions naturally. Like how do you go from being in that state to having the experiential learning, um, it's pretty hard. So, you know, if you come to one of these events, you, you actually are like, oh, this is what it's like to be at a dinner party where somebody is transitioning into more personal, vulnerable conversation. And then when someone maybe gets a little bit too personal or out of, out of hand, you know, myself or my assistant will step in and be like, hey, you know, maybe we could rephrase that in a more gentle way that makes everyone feel safe and kind of get back on track. So, um, Perfect. yeah, I've been doing that for about a year now. I love it. Cool. Yeah, I came upon that same issue that my mature clients starting open relationship for the first time, or maybe they're recently divorced, and they were like, well, how am I going to meet anybody in my age group? So I decided to start a meetup group called Poly Over 50, so I could say, come right here and meet them. <laughs> so similarly, I found a need to create a place for real-life meetings. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, I, I would definitely like to go to one, even though I'm, I guess I'm, I'm pre over 50 kind of precocious. Well, I, I say that it's for, it's for um, poly or poly curious people over 50 and those who love them. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so um, another question I have for you is I am in total alignment with you when you critique the nuclear family system. I hope we don't get a lot of calls from the evangelical right-wing <laughs> Christians here. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they're listening to our show. Um, but the nuclear family system and marriage, um, so can you talk about your views about that and how it informs your practice? Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm an only child, and my mom's an only child, and my dad's only sister lived across the country. Um, so I grew up with this experience of I'm not really going to have peer companionship unless I hustle and make friends. Um, and so it became something that, you know, I, I got pretty good at and <laughs> decided to make my, my career, my life work out of teaching it to people. And I, I've read a lot about how in many parts of the world, birth rates are falling. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of looking at a future where less people are going to have siblings and aunts and uncles. Um, a lot of people are waiting longer to have children. Um, and so, you know, like me, like my last grandparent passed away when I was 18, so for me, you know, if somebody were to tell me, like, you know, rely on your family, for me, that's two people in their 70s. Um, you know, and I mean, now I have my, my life partner who I brought into my life, and he's, he has a, a much bigger family who doesn't live in the area. But it just really occurred to me, this is 
probably the way things are going to be. Um, and, you know, I saw in, in my own life and in many people, you know, I, I grew up in the 90s with a lot of my friends, uh, parents getting divorced, um, sometimes, you know, going on to start very positive, new, healthy relationships, and other times, you know, just that, like, classic, bitter custody dispute, um, and kind of realizing, like, wow, this is a really fragile system. And I also have come to see that the nuclear family marriage model is very difficult for people that have what I might call outlier psychological profiles. So, um, you know, I was thinking about this question, and I was trying to think of who two examples would be, and I'll, I'll point to um, kind of heroes most people see. So Martin Luther King um, you know, was this incredibly brave, ambitious person. He knew that he was risking his life and his family. And, you know, as some people know, um, he had a lot of affairs outside of his nuclear family relationship. And um, the CIA tried to use that against him. Um, and, you know, I mean, he's famous as a, a minister. I imagine most people didn't think that was okay. I have no idea what the kings, you know, what their personal discussions were. But, I mean, you know, I mean, he was really this this great, amazing person. And his choice to be a very brave and courageous person, that took a toll on his family, and he did not conform to the nuclear family structure. And so I think often when you have somebody that is a risk taker, is a leader, it's kind of hard to be married to them. You know, it's kind mm -hmm. of hard to have that be one half of your parenting um, support system, you know, when you don't mm -hmm. have other people involved. Um, and then another model who, um, you know, uh, very much in influenced MLK was Gandhi, somebody who went in the opposite direction of, you know, being very celibate. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, there, um, there are some accounts that he didn't treat his wife very well. You know, he really prioritized um, his work. And um, I mean, we don't need to get into like a whole critique of Gandhi. It's, it's fascinating. <laughs> So to mm -hmm. learn more about Gandhi's personal, um, you know, family life. But again, I mean, here's somebody who has really, you know, contributed to, you know, like led this freedom struggle and was very difficult to have as your mm -hmm. partner um, or your parent. And so I would like to see, you know, I want to help create structures where you can have a very close connection to somebody that, you know, might involve sex and romance and raising children and allow them to be their grand self without having to be the sacrificial spouse, um, without mm -hmm. having to be the person who kind of gets dragged along into this freedom struggle um, and, and having so much personal risk to your own family, I think to have more of an ecosystem and in I don't know what to say, I guess, uh, kind of traditional extended families. Um, you know, you might have a bunch of aunts and uncles and, you know, family friends. And I, I think that's beautiful. I'm a huge advocate of that. But coming from where I came from, an only child of an only child, I don't have that. And a lot of people don't. Um, and so yeah. I'm, I'm very interested in finding ways to, to teach people how to create and foster those connections. And we are tribal by nature uh, from our 
origin, like how we evolved, was from tribes. So the nuclear family is a relatively recent model for humanity. And it was, you know, I read Gerda Lerner's book, The Origins of Patriarchy in the 80s, and it was really based on a patriarchal model where every man could be the king of his lair. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it, it really is an outmoded model. But we are almost out of time, Regina, and I want to give you a chance to tell people how they can reach you, and I believe you also have an offer for people. So I want to give you plenty of time to do that. But before I do, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show. It was delightful hearing your thoughts and ideas, um, and I hope you'll come back sometime. And so take it away. You've got about two or three minutes to tell people how to reach you and um, make your offer. Thank you, Sumini. I I had a wonderful time on your radio program. Um, I, I learned something from you, you know, as always. So if people want to get in touch with me, they can go to my website, loveleafcoaching.com. Um, I, I also update the Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com dash turning a new love leaf. You can see a lot of my articles and my events there. Um, so when you go to my website, if you join um, if you join my newsletter, you'll get a 20 minute audio, um, which is this sound healing ceremony I did with my friends. Um, we used to do these ceremonies where we would help people um, that were getting over a breakup or, or even like a loss of a friendship. Um, so you'll, you'll get that audio recording. And, um, you know, for anyone who's listening or if you have friends or family that might be interested, you can sign up for a complimentary 20-minute coaching call with me. Um, you know, if you're somebody that is looking to bring more friendship into your life, to bring romance, romantic love into your life, or even I've, I've had some people that are looking to improve their relationship with their with their family, um, often with their parents who kind of live in a different culture than they do. These are all things that I help people to work on. And, um, you know, the call, it's no obligation. Um, I love talking to people. You know, I, I did start this work, you know, being a relationship mm-hmm. coach. I really enjoy the calls even when they don't work out. And, um yeah, then I have my event Excellent. Wednesday, September 12th at Oakland WeWork, which um, you can find out about on the Facebook page. Perfect. Thank you so much, Regina. We'll talk to you soon. Wonderful. Thank you. Good night. Okay, bye-bye. So next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, we'll be speaking with Dr. Namita Khan, who is a doctorate in human sexuality. She speaks four languages, and she won the Uh, best of the North Bay last year as a sex and intimacy coach. So she's a very creative sex and intimacy coach. Join us next week at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Leading Edge Love Radio. Good night, everyone.